Hey guys. My name is James, studying international studies, second year. I've got to really the reason Bible for us. So if you want to open up your slip, it should be on the second page there. Reading Romans 1, 1 to 17, from the English Standard Version. Let's do it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To, Jesus Christ. to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be the saints, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far has been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under no uh, sorry, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Oops, now I've got to come explain that for us. Welcome. Good to have you here. Uh, my name is Rob, and uh, maybe if I put this on you, I'll hear you better. Welcome to uh, uni, and welcome to uni Bible Talks. If you haven't been here before or went here last week, uh, it's great to have you along. We read the Bible here and work through a part of the Bible. We're working through this book that we've just begun called Romans. But to step back a little bit, first of all, you're here at uni, presumably you're here because you're studying at uni. Uh, if you're not, that's okay. It's great to have you here. What, for whatever reason you're here, it's good that you're amongst us. But if you're here at uni, uni says you're here to find your why. Find your why. And if you've been to uni starters, you know that some of you are here to find your who uh, and maybe your why. Uh, but anyway, we won't go into that. Your why. And I want to start with uh, your why. And in doing so, to be able to meet a couple of people around you as you do this. That is, by 25, and that's the first point on your outline, by 25, what are two things that you want to accomplish by 25? Don't tell me. Meet the person next to you. Have to meet somebody you've never met before. You might have to you know, crane around. We'll, we'll work it out. Uh, but two things to achieve by 25. Go for it. 
Hopefully you've had a chance to share one or two things uh, with each other. Does anyone want to um, shout out one that, uh, that, that your newfound friend uh, mentioned? Or one that you had? <laughs> get a job. Get a job? Who else had get a job? Can everyone, oh, if everyone stands, it's a bit awkward with those things. In, okay, we won't do that. Uh, let's get everyone to stand and sit down if you've already got that one. We won't do that. <laughs> uh, so get a job. Yep, another one or two? Finish uni by 25. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. someone who's doing medicine. Uh, <laughs> very long time. Uh, yep, one from over this side. Travel. Who else had travel? Wow, we oh a couple. Travel. Only two people want to travel. Wollongong is such a great place, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to go anywhere else. <laughs> Leave that. No, it was the that was not one of the top two. That is incredible. Well, okay, well, maybe you want to put your hand up. Um, any one one last one. Anyone well, let me suggest. Anyone financial independence? Anyone have that one? Nope. Oh, one, yeah, okay. Uh, what about um, have your own Netflix account? Wish <laughs> 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 I'd put that there. This from a family of more than four. Yes, you need my own Netflix account. Well, the book of Romans is written by this guy, Paul, who's got a vision and a passion. Probably older than 25, as he's writing it. Maybe not huge amounts older. But his passion is to travel the world. Not to travel the world so much to see the world, but to travel the world where no one else has gone with the gospel of God, this, this message from God to the world. And this is what we've seen talking about in the first chapter of Romans, but also in chapter 15, if you're wanting to try and understand Romans a bit, it's bookended by Paul's plan to want to travel the world with the gospel. And you can pick it up there on your sheet at the little number five, uh, how Paul thinks of himself in this role, through whom, through Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That is, what's this apostleship business? Paul sees himself as God's global spokesperson. He's the guy who is at the forefront of this message going out into the world. And if you look at chapter um, 15, uh, actually, I think I've got it there for you. Um, in chapter 15, he says... But he wants to go, oh yeah, you can even read it there. Um, his plan is to go all the way up to Illyricum and then beyond to Spain. But he's been around all these other places in the world. He wants to go where no one else has travelled. And so uh, now he can come to them. Yep. I'll come back to here. Because all the way around to Illyricum, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, uh, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. 
But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So you get it? Paul's aiming to go where no one else has gone. It's like mission impossible, certainly. Uh, with the gospel, though, he sees himself at the forefront. Like he's lighting fires, like he's got a spark that's just going around and lighting fires for the gospel, and other people are then coming along and tending that, and uh, churches are being planted, and then he moves on to somewhere else. But Paul has never been to Rome. Now, Rome is the centre of the empire. The Rome is the centre of the world. It is the centre of the Roman Empire. And Paul hasn't been to Rome. He says, uh, back in, you can see it there in verse 13 on your sheets, uh, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. See, Paul has been trying to get to Rome, but he's been hindered. Now, why would this great apostle, who is supposed to be the, at the forefront of God's message going out, not get to Rome? Is he a bit scared of Rome? Is he a bit afraid of Rome? He says he's been hindered, but the questions might be raised in people's minds. Why has Paul not come and visited us in Rome if he's this great apostle? But we see that his passion is not for being the guy who takes the, the gospel to the great city of Rome. You know, I am God's apostle to the world. I'm in Rome. Now he wants to see, his passion is to see the gospel go out into all the world. So he doesn't feel slighted. Or he doesn't feel like oh, somebody got in before me and planted a church in Rome. But I'm supposed to do that. But see what he says in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith, you Romans, Christians, is proclaimed through all the world. See, Paul didn't plant the church in Rome, but he's thankful to God that their faith has become known throughout the world. He's not put off by the fact that he didn't plant that church. He just wants to see the gospel go out into all the world. Now, I just want to labour that point because Paul... Paul's passion, his drive, what he wants to achieve by 25, is actually not, not 25, I don't know what his age was, uh, is not something for himself. It's actually something for the world. It's actually something for God. His passion lies outside of himself. He wants to magnify God. He's got a global vision, not for himself, but for the gospel. And it includes everybody. Okay, this is the next point. It includes everybody, Greeks and barbarians. Quite uh, interesting. You've probably never really heard of Greeks and barbarians. Verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who all also are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, so Paul sees uh, sorry, all people... In the Jewish way of understanding the world, everybody's either a Jew or they're a Gentile. That's of the nations. You're a Jew or you're a Gentile. That's everybody. Uh, it's a bit like the mathematicians. It's like I study maths and then there's everybody else. Uh, <laughs> I know true, pure stuff about the world and then there's everybody else. Philosophy uh, majors are the same too. Now, the Gentiles get broken down by Paul here into Greeks and barbarians. 
Now, Greeks does not equal Greeks in Paul's mind. Greek is not sort of lamb souvlaki uh, and my big fat Greek wedding and Windex. That might be Greek, but that's not what he's meaning here. Greek means wisdom, sophisticated intelligence, which is what he spells out here. You can see it, the, the, the wise and the foolish. The foolish are like... The Bogans. They're like the people from Western Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because I have come from, I grew up in Western Sydney. Parramatta is close to my heart. I go for the roosters, but I do love the eels. They're my second second team. Uh, but the Bogans are the ones Sorry, the barbarians. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the foolish ones. They're, they are the Bogans. Rome is the centre of the world, um, and it's Greek in its thinking. So Athens is the centre of the Greek Empire, but the Greek Empire by now is long gone in terms of its power. And Rome is the power, but Rome, even though it's Italian, is, is Greek. Uh, and the pride, the pride in their wisdom and sophistication, and they're better than those barbarians out there. Uh, in fact, the word barbarian. Uh, is it's like you know baby talk. It's like ba 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 ba. They can't even like communicate. They're ba 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 Bavarians sort of things. So it's a put down. It's just like Bogenism. It's just exactly the same. And Paul says, "I'm preaching to the wise and the foolish, to 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 Greeks and barbarians, the whole of the Gentile world, without distinction." The message of the gospel does not distinguish between whether you're intelligent or dumb in the world's eyes. It's for anyone. Why is that? It's because of the content of the gospel message. It's because of the... Now, if you're here last week, with, with us last week, last week, we saw the content of the gospel message. Because of the content of the gospel message, it makes it globally for everybody appropriate. So verse 3 and 4, um, I won't read it, but I'll summarise it. The man Jesus has been declared, according to the Spirit, to be the Son of God in power through his resurrection from the dead. <coughs> okay, how does that, what's the connection there? Well, the Son of God is not, does not mean God, not in, uh, uh, Jesus is God, yes, but being but having the title Son of God doesn't mean he is God. Having the title Son of God means he has been appointed as the ruler and the representative of humanity. Resurrected from the dead and appointed Son of God to rule and represent humanity. That's why it's a message that's appropriate to everybody, whether wise or foolish. Anybody who comes under the umbrella of human is that's who the gospel is for. And so Paul's wanting to go to all the ends of the earth where no one's ever been to bring about that message. And for what purpose? What's he trying to do? Uh, verse 14, uh, sorry, to bring about, not verse 14, to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations, just so you know where what his purpose is. So it's God's message for the whole world and it makes a world of difference. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. What is it that makes a world of difference? 
Verse 17. Paul says, this gospel message... Um, sorry, verse 16. Pick it up. This gospel message, he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, if you like chocolate mud cake of that very dense style, hopefully you will like these verses. They are like chocolate mud cake, uh, very dense and need a lot of um, packing. Uh, and you need a lot of coffee to wash it all down and keep you awake as you're working through it. These are saying, they're saying a lot here. So I'm going to breeze over it, but try and stick with me. See, this, is, this message is a message that makes a difference. It's God's power for salvation. It's not that this message contains power. It is God's power for salvation. Uh, first for the Jew, that's gone to them first, Jerusalem and surrounds, but also for um, the Greek as well, for anyone who believes. Um, the announcement that God's appointed Jesus, the Son of God, as ruler over the nations, is God's power for salvation? How does that work? How is it God's power? I mean, you can understand that whether you believe it or not, it's, it sounds like it's a big message. It's like a, it's, it's going to have some bearing on someone's life somewhere. But how is it God's power for salvation? How is it power? Well, just hold that one off there for a moment. Because what does it do? Verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now that clears everything up, doesn't it? Of course it does. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. That's what's the power for salvation. You're all looking blank. Which is why you should be looking. Because it, how does it, what does it make sense? I'm not going to do all the hard work for you. I'll get you to chat with um, people that you've met around about you. Um, no, next one. I'm going to say, work on that one. What do you think the righteousness of God means? The phrase we've got to wrestle with. Okay, Jesus. Uh, who found that just a bit hard? Who found that? Yeah, this is the honest side of the room. Who thinks they nailed that? Like, keep it coming, more chocolate cake, please. Who's got it? Yeah. Um, the, the reason it is a bit difficult to open that through, um, and it might be that you don't even know what the word righteousness is, um, and maybe you, know, you feel like you don't know anything about God either, so you're just like really lost, um, is that righteousness is a, is a difficult word. Uh, it's, a, it's a rubbery word. What's, what's it actually mean? And then to complicate it, to add in this thing called identity of God, um, just complicates another layer of complexity. Just in understanding the words, it's a bit like saying um, something like the, the love of the world. Well, what, you've got to work out what love you're thinking about anyway, because love's such a rubbery word. And then, of the, is it the love for the world? Or is it the love that the world has? The love um, that the world is like? 
the love. So it's quite, quite tricky without even under, understanding what those actual words mean. Righteousness of God. Righteousness has to do with being in the right. Being in the right. The righteousness of God is a righteousness that God has. He's in the right. God always does things rightly. And it's a righteousness in this context that he bestows on others. A righteousness uh, from God. It's not just the just a character of God, but it's something that he does. And you can tell that from... Now, you will have to go away and do the hard work if you don't believe it. That's okay. Um, because it's about salvation. It's got something that God's doing that's bringing salvation. So it's... Um, it's got something that God does which brings people into right relationship with him. That's what it's doing. That's what the gospel message does. That's why it's powerful. Because in it, God is taking people who are not righteous and declaring them in the gospel message to be righteous. Because of Jesus. Now, you might think, hang on, I haven't quite got that connection there yet. But we'll get there. In the gospel, God is saying that those who are not right with him, who are unrighteous, hint, anyone who's human, that they are right with God by trusting the message, by faith, and they will be declared righteous. That is powerful stuff. To call something something that it isn't, and it actually is it. <laughs> We're going to unpack this in the next few weeks. So hang in there and do come back. But this is huge. This is mega huge. And it's not easy to grasp. In fact, the great Martin Luther, who began the great Protestant Reformation uh, in the 16th century, wrestled with this very verse and was converted through this very verse. What does he say? There he is, picture of Mark. In very young German, I guess. <laughs> what does he say about this? I hated that word, righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all the teachers, he was, oh, he was bloody next one. I have been taught to understand philosophically of the formal or active justice, as they call it, by which God is righteous and punishes sinners and the unrighteous. Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt I was a sinner before God with the most disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction that he might have been punished. I did, I did not love, indeed I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. Secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. This is a guy who was teaching the Bible in university. 
This is a guy who's supposed to know the Bible inside and out, and he hates God that he, that he, the God that he meets in the Bible. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had that great yearning to know what he meant. Finally, by the mercy of God, as I meditated day and night, I paid attention to the context of the words. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written. He who through faith is righteous shall live. Then I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous life, the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. This then is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel. That is the passive righteousness, don't worry what that means, but the passive righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, the righteous one lives by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of all scriptures showed itself to me. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. See, Martin Luther wrestled with the scriptures and he came to understand what the righteousness of God was actually saying. It's not saying that God turns bad people into good people. It doesn't transform you from being a sinner to now being no longer sinning. No. The truth is, we're all unrighteous scumbags, whether you show it or not. We're the most socially adjusted scumbags, mind you. And we're good at covering it up with cosmetics. Um, as in, not just facial cosmetics, <laughs> but with what we do with our lives. We're, we're at a stage of life where we can cover up what we do and look pretty good. But we're unrighteous, just below the surface. And deserving of God's right sentence, which is death. And I'll come back to that in a moment. See, Jesus was righteous. Jesus is the only one who is righteous. And that is, he lived a life that was right before God. He's in right relationship with God. Always, always. And now, as the Son of God raised from the dead, the human ruler, he's right with God and now representing humanity that he rules rightly before God. So that now... Even though you and I are unrighteous scumbags, even if you trust the message of the gospel, with the Son of God in power standing before God for you, you're counted as righteous. And this is what Martin Luther understood so great. And it is great news. And he takes us through in his little blurb about himself to his reading of the next bit which comes from Habakkuk, which is all about getting life. Get life is point four. Uh, part of Paul's argument here is, this is great news, it's momentous news, but it's not, it's not brand new. It's, it's been like that in the Old Testament. Certainly, Jesus uh, 
coming to it as a man and dying and being raised, that is brand new. But the message of that this is what will this is the way that God will act in the world is not new. He takes us back to Habakkuk, which is that quote that you can see there, and the righteous shall live by faith. <coughs> Habakkuk was a prophet, something like six hundred years before Jesus. And it sounds like what he's saying in just that little quote is that the righteous will go about living their life by faith. Uh, that's what the righteous will do. They'll go about living by faith. But that's not what he means. Um, I need to give you just a really quick summary of Habakkuk in 10 seconds. Uh, well, a little bit more than that. In Habakkuk, Habakkuk's a prophet in Israel, and he complains to God that the whole nation is unrighteous. The nation that's supposed to be the righteous people of God are not. They're wicked. And God, they're your people. What are you going to do about it, God? And so God replies. And God says, good point, Habakkuk. Tell you what, I'm going to send the Babylonian army. And they're like a killing machine. They demolish the nation. Unrighteousness gone. That's what's going to happen. And of course Habakkuk says, <laughs> what? How can a righteous God take a completely, totally unrighteous Babylon and then use that as his instrument of bringing, of dealing with unrighteousness? Like, that can't possibly be. How can that be? It can't be, I'm going to wait for another answer. I'm going to wait. And God says, comes back to him and says, yeah, you wait, because it's coming. It will come. I will deal with the unrighteousness. It will mean death. But the righteous will gain life by faith. The righteous will obtain life, if you like, by faith. The righteous, are, in effect, they're dead too, but they're going to gain life, though deserving of death, by trusting the message of the gospel that's going to come. Mind you, Habakkuk, you're going to die before you see it, but you're going to have it too because you're holding on to the message that God's going to do something about unrighteousness in the world. So hang in there. How is that the solution? The killing machine coming through? Everyone just dying? Wait for the answer. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous will obtain life by trusting God. See, we're all deserving of death. But some will gain life and... Paul says, that's been revealed, that, that truth has been revealed, it's not new, it's been revealed about God through the centuries. The righteous will escape death and judgment, not because they're inherently righteous, but because they trust God's declaration message, the gospel message. Now, when I asked you before, um, what, what will you do by 25? What do you want to achieve by 25? Um, by 25 years old, not 25 past the hour. Um, that's good. Um, no, none of you said, I presume, by 25, I'd like to be breathing. I think I'd like to be breathing. Um, or maybe by 25, I'd like to achieve breakfast. 
they're just the, the daily ordinary things of life. Breathing and breakfast. I hope you've had both today. <laughs> Looks like you've had at least one of them. Uh, they're just the, the daily basics of existence and life. You don't think about them. You don't aspire to them. But Paul is going to challenge those assumptions next week in the next passage. You just assume that you're alive. But I'm breathing. I've had breakfast. You may have existence, but do you have life? You've got animation, like you're moving around. Sorry about that, I can't dance. But, um, you've got, but do you have life? See, the God who's given us life, whether we acknowledge him or not, the God who's given us life has, in, has infused life into the universe. His life has created the universe, has created every atom that makes up your, your body and everything around you. But that God has given you every breath that you take, given you every breakfast that you've ever eaten. He's given you every resource of mind and of body and of finances and of family and relationships and joy. He's given you every single thing. And yet we, in our sin, don't acknowledge God, the giver. We don't acknowledge that he is the one. We decide what we're going to achieve by 25. We make the decisions for our life. I'm going to do this by 25, and most of it's for me, without reference to God. If God is the giver of every fibre of your being and existence, would it not be right for him to take that back from you? If that's been misused, if that's been abused, if you've just not acknowledged it, would it not be his right to take that back away? That's what's called death. And we are like the proverbial fresh-cut flowers who at the moment that they're fresh-cut, put in a vase, look beautiful. Uh, we are at the stage of life where we look our best. I'll include myself in there while I can. <laughs> we present well. But the stats say and the science says is that we're dying and we will all die. We're actually all born into the process of dying. We're like the fresh cut flowers that look good at the moment, but give it 40 years and you'll 50, whatever it might be, you'll be laid to rest in the ground just like the flowers. We look like we're alive, but when we separate ourselves from the one who is life, we're actually not alive. But the good news of the gospel is, though we stand under the sentence of death, there's access to life through Jesus. That is, trust the message of the gospel that he's representing you before God, and you will be given life. Not just life now, to do the things that you want to do by 25. You'll be given life with God, in relationship with God, in right relationship with God. Now that's a powerful message. That's a powerful message. Do you know the truth of that message? For some of you, you might think, well, I've never, the first time I've heard it today, I've just come along. That's fantastic. But like Martin Luther, You've got to wrestle with it and understand, is this actually true? Or it might be that, well, actually, you've grown up 
with people telling you what's true, like Martin Luther had people telling him what was true, and it just didn't work for him. If you've had people telling you all your life, you've actually worked it out for yourself what God is saying in the gospel. You need to do that as an adult to actually read the Bible for yourself and wrestle with it for yourself like Martin Luther did to come to understand and meet God in his word. And we want to help you to do that in your Bible group. And so there's, I mentioned it last week on your little comment slip. Um, I'd like to read the Bible with someone from Uni Bible Group. Um, if you'd like someone to help you get going with that, then tick that. To actually read the Bible and understand it as an adult. And hopefully, if you're not already, come to know the God who's given us life. Well, the rest of us, if you know that's true, I want to make you give you the challenge. Like Paul, go global with the gospel. That is not leave here and go overseas, but change your thinking about where you're aiming in life. See, are your achievements by 25 all about what I want to do for me in my life? Or are you thinking, what is God doing in the world? Like Paul thought, he wants the wise and the foolish, anyone of status of any sort, to come and know the gospel. Is that the way you think? Whether you end up going overseas with the gospel or not, or staying here, or is it the way that you're thinking? Because if it's the gospel that gives life, there's only one choice. I'm going to leave us in prayer for someone else comes up and prays as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us life in the Lord Jesus. Though we live now unrighteously, and we deserve your death. In the gospel message, you've given us life because of the Lord Jesus and his righteous life. Lord, if we don't know that life, if we don't know that message and have not put our trust in it, please, Lord, help those who are thinking through that through, to think through it clearly uh, and come, like Martin Luther did, to come to know you and the great freedom that it is to know that message. Lord, help us all to put it into practice and know how to live rightly, trusting you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 i pray. I think I might have gone dead. It's a battery fire. Hey guys, my name's James, and I have the privilege of leading us in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for sustaining us through the night and bringing us safely here today. Thank you that you are a good God who loves to look after his children. Thank you especially for giving us new life in Jesus. Thank you for the promise of heaven that we have as your children. Lord, thanks for what we've learned today in the talk. Thank you for your powerful gospel. Lord, we acknowledge that deep down we are righteous scumbags unrighteous scumbags and we confess that we need your grace thank you that you have declared us righteous through Jesus if we trust in him Lord we praise you for your glorious life giving grace and help us to have your global perspective of everyone's need to hear the gospel Lord uh, we pray for our faculty Bible studies we, we pray that that will be a fruitful time of fellowship 
as we sit under your word and learn from it. Lord, please help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, thank you for today as, as Club's Day. We pray that the guys at the barbecue uh, will be having good conversations with people. We pray that you would help us to proclaim Christ at University of Wollongong. And we thank you for the good partnership that we, uh, that we have with the university. And lastly, Lord, we pray for the Christians United group at the University of New England in Armadale. We pray for their kickoff camp coming up in a couple of weekends. We pray that lots of people would come along. We pray that their speakers would speak clearly from your word. And we pray that you would give them safe travel. We pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.